If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue a study so appropriately as always entitled Living Hope. We're now in chapter 2. We're going to continue a theme that we started last week, and as we do, it's just a great morning to be in church. The, the sense of all of us where I just, it was like we were singing a little bit more loudly this morning, where we come here with just a little bit more awareness of our need for the sovereign God to be in the throne of our hearts because of the state of our world. Anytime there's something in the spirit of the air that, that really points us to God, it's an awesome opportunity to just come and be unified in worship. And yet, so often it ends with a different story. This time reminds me of another time, not too far into the, into the past. How many of you are old enough to remember the year 2020? You guys remember that time? Felt a little similar to how we feel now, doesn't it? There's some catastrophic news that's coming across the headlines, and everyone's trying to understand what, what, what is up. What the people of God are trying to understand where they belong. And 2020 was really like a, a case study. It was like a try run for how believers try to figure out their belonging in a non-believing world. And this is a timely consideration for where we'll be this, this morning. Um, and it's worth considering the history of 2020 because we may be doomed to repeat it. started out with so much hope. We're all in this together. Let's lock arms in unity to be the light of the world. And yet, so quickly, that hope and excitement devolved into a bunch of little civil wars where neighbors were arguing with neighbors about how to respond to different mandates and ordinances. And family members, no doubt you experienced some people you didn't agree with, and the, the Thanksgiving 2020 was probably looked a little bit different than usual. And unfortunately, the church was not spared in all of the ways that we were pulled at the seams. Trying to understand what Peter is going to give us an answer for this morning, where does the believer belong in a non-believing world within the confines of a government? Remember where we were last week with, with this simple question, how does, what's our response to the out, outside world's opinion of us? And Peter said, when they speak evil against you, Conduct yourselves with honor, that the Gentiles may see your good conduct and glorify God. And it was like, praise the Lord. He's given us an answer. And this morning, we find how that answer has some real specific applications, starting this week and continuing in, in the coming weeks, as to what it looks like to have honorable conduct for believers in a non-believing world. And this week is reminder that the word is timeless, but always timely. Peter's going to talk about our belonging as citizens of heaven and also citizens of an earthly government. How do we respond to wars and rumors of war? What is our place in response to government's leadership? And answering this question, I hope, will give us some insight in how we maybe can do a little bit better. What if the year 2024 was just as memorable as the year 2020. How can we use the word of God not to form a battleground, but form a common ground, to unite us, to give us a common vision for how the people of God actually can be united in uncertain times? 
So this morning we look at Peter's answer for honorable conduct when it comes to our place in civic society. Read along with me. Chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors who are sent. We'll look at Peter over these next few verses giving us some things that we can all agree on. I hope that the word can come and take away the middle wall that sometimes divides even the church. You look back at the time that we came out of and we were divided in in our response to something like this. We had the compliant and we had the defiant. We had the rule followers and we had the freedom fighters. We had the vaccinators and we had the immunizers. We had the maskers and the no maskers. And as Peter goes to bring us together, he says, I'm going to give you some insight that everyone will have to make some concessions for. And the first one he says, and we'll look at three, is that we're called to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man. And he's talking about the ordinance of man as they are given to us through the governance of man. Kings and governors, also anyone who holds an office that is in charge of helping us comply with the different rules that we have to live in an orderly society. So for the rule followers among us, you look at 1 Peter, you're like, amen, preach. I knew I could come to church and be encouraged that all we really have to do is be, a, be a, a, an orderly and reasonable person. And for the most part, you're not wrong. Look what Peter says. Submit yourselves to every ordinance. Peter is going to use this word submit over and over and over again as he gives us practical ways to fit into the non-believing world. Over the coming weeks, we'll look at this, and you can see it in the headlines of your Bible. He says that we're to submit to government, submit to masters, wives submit to husbands. We're supposed to, as he'll go into the later chapters, uh, church people submit to church leaders. And one of the ways that Peter is giving us this is going to violate something deep within us that we just don't like about how we are being sanctified in God. We are being called to submit our will to the will of God. And this violates us from our very beginning. We are all born under the federal headship of Adam, who in the beginning of the story of God reached in and grabbed a fruit that was forbidden when there was one law to not eat of the the fruit of the tree in good and evil. Submit yourself to that ordinance, and he didn't. And, And we live in a world that is unraveling with that same seed in all of us. We are born of a rebel. And we... The Bible says every single one of us have this tendency to rebel from the call of God in our lives. Every single one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. The word submit violates our desire to do what we want. And to add another layer specific for the way that the word speaks to us in our context, we are all American, which means that we are in our core freedom fighters from the very beginning. We celebrate every 4th of July that we have the right to blow things up. And we look at fireworks in the sky and say, we're a free people. Don't tell Americans what to do. And in all those things, we allow God to cleanse us from how we would be without him and bring us into an order of submission to him by submitting to the offices that he ordains, namely today, government. Let me read a definition 
for you to understand the submission that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit back to the design of God for our lives. Submission, a spirit-empowered decision to willingly obey the positions of authority God has sovereignly ordained over us. The Christian life is a life of submission to God, a submission to the obedience of his word, a submission to the call of God in your life, a submission to his plan for your life, and a submission to the people that God has called you to interact with different roles of leadership over you. A message for all of us to hear, Peter says, submit. And for the rebels, I love you because I am you, rules are hard for me. This is written to your to us by your ally, by the way. This is written to us by the Apostle Peter, who, for the most part, the life sketch of his interactions with Christ is a life sketch of rebellion. He's the one that told Jesus that he was never going to forsake him and that Jesus' plans weren't as good as his plans. He was the one that, as uh, the arresting officers sent by the government came to take Jesus to court, Peter pulled out the sword and cut off an ear. It is the same Peter that Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword, that Peter now speaks to us, saying, for the most part, put away your sword. The context that Peter was writing, I assure you, as hard as this is to hear for our freedom-loving American ideals, it was harder to submit in the day that Peter was writing than it is now. Peter was writing to people who lived in a Roman Empire that did not afford them nearly the same rights that we have. Peter was writing to a group of believers that were right on the cusp of having to submit to an emperor named Nero who would eventually persecute them to the point of burning them alive to keep his torches lit. And we receive this in a time that is challenging, but certainly it does not disqualify us if it didn't disqualify them. Here is a short off-the-top-of-my-head list for ways without getting into all of the times that we sometimes may come up against government in a godly way of uncompliance. Here's some basic ways that, in general, we are just supposed to practice agreeableness and submission and compliance with the people that God is using to keep our society orderly. Take notes if you can keep up. Pay your taxes and don't cheat. Get a license to drive your car or your motorcycle or your boat or your drone if you have one. Wear a seatbelt, wear a helmet, wear a life vest. Insure your vehicles, get a license to hunt, register your ATV, pay your campground fees. Keep your animal on a leash when it is required. Keep your music down, keep your property orderly. Don't park in a handicapped space, don't park in a loading zone, don't litter, don't jaywalk, don't vandalize public property, don't drink and drive, don't drive too fast, don't leave your baggage unattended in the terminal, don't tamper with or disarm or disable the smoke alarm, and maybe the hardest one, if it is asked of you, place your mask on your nose for takeoff, even though you can take it off as soon as you get your snack, which makes zero sense, but you do it anyway, because We don't have to agree with every ordinance. They don't all have to make sense. We don't even have to like them. Peter says that we are submitting ourselves to governing authority to keep an orderly residency 
not because we are submitting ourselves to the love of the law over us, but we are, we are submitting ourselves for the Lord's sake. Because it is God's heart that his people, wherever he puts them and wherever they're scattered in whatever government they live in, will have a reputation with his name. We bear his name. And here's our reputation. Those who bear the name of Christ are kind and reasonable and orderly people who make great neighbors, outstanding people with upstanding citizenship. That's your reputation according to the will of God for his people. That's how he wants us to interact with the non-believing world. And so now, the question that is stirring in the heads of the rebels among us, are you saying, is Peter saying, is the word charging us to just blindly comply with whatever the government is up to? With whatever orders come down the pike and we receive them and we say, we have a simple command from the word to just do whatever is asked of us. Good news for the rebels, no. <laughs> the, rebels are, the rebels are happy. <laughs> Peter is describing a general heart, an attitude towards the people that are asked to lead. But he is also, in all of the ways he is giving us a principle, he is also giving us some precedence. Here's one of the ways that he outlines this. One, we do everything unto the Lord which means whatever we're being asked to comply with or submit ourselves to has to be congruent with something we could do unto the Lord. Also, Peter will describe the essence of government, why God has ordained certain people to keep things orderly so that we don't slip into anarchy. Here's the essence of it in verse 14. To those who are sent by him, meaning the, the emperor and the governor, all orders of, of civic duty, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. There are your fundamentals of why God has placed people over civic society. In fact, as I was reading this, I thought, if I ever run for office, this is a very simple campaign slogan. If you're running, use it. Here's your campaign slogan for anyone who may elect you. Punish evil, praise good. That's it. That's what government's designed to do. In fact, the, the punishment of evil should give all of us some clarity on how we are, for the most part, already interacting with government. If you aren't doing anything outside of the law this morning, if you aren't doing anything that is secretly putting you at odds with an officer of the law, then you really don't have anything to worry about. How many of you have ever been driving down the freeway and you see the motorcycle cop pulled over, hiding behind the bush, laser gun out, and you're, you immediately see him, and you look down your speedometer, and you're like, I'm in the clear. I wasn't speeding. That cop is someone else's problem, but God bless him. I hope he has a great day, because he's not my problem. I've done nothing to put myself in a position where I have to interact with him. Well, for the most part, that is the design that we are called to live under. So with that precedent in mind, the question is, what happens when government is not punishing evil, but it's actually praising evil, and it's punishing good. This is where we can see throughout the history of God's people living under a variety of governments, God does allow for his people to stand up with courage and boldness in noncompliance. So let's look at a couple of examples as we try to find our lens to view this through. Remember in Exodus, we have God's people living under the rule and the government of Egypt. 
Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's concerned that the, the, the Hebrew population, the Israelites, are growing too big. And he's like, we can't control them if they get out of hand. If, they, if we become the minority, we're in trouble. So what does he do? Puts out an ordinance, a mandate, that all midwives must murder the firstborn sons. So when murder is mandated by the government, the Bible now gives us a precedent where people are honored in their noncompliance. The midwives famously did not obey. They actually put their lives at risk to work around that law and to save babies, one of them being Moses, who God would use to lead his people out of slavery. So God used their act of defiance to bless his people. We see another example. In the book of Daniel, we see two classic examples of God's people living in a government that makes them exiles. Literal exiles taken from their land, now living under the rule of Babylon. And what happens? Daniel chapter 3, we have these three guys, the friends of Daniel. And they're responding to an ordinance, a mandate by the government that says you now have to worship the king, Nebuchadnezzar. Giant statue, you're going to lay down before him and worship. That is violating any way that they could actually submit to a law unto the Lord because God's people only worship God. That's what makes us unique. And sometimes the thorn on the side of governments that are over God's people is we will not violate our true object of worship, which is God and God alone. So they did not comply. And by God's grace, we have this example of the punishment not working. They're thrown into a fiery furnace. It says there was one like the Son of Man in the fire with them, and they are not consumed. God is with them in their noncompliance. Fast forward three chapters, we see Daniel himself. A government mandate has come out that for 30 days, the only person you could plead to was the king himself. No prayer to any other god. An ordinance specifically designed to get Daniel in trouble, and he hears the ordinance. He goes to his uh, the, his house and opens his windows and he prays three times for all to see non-compliance for anyone who wants to witness his desire to pray to the one and living one true living God and disobey the law. And what happens? The punishment did not work. He's thrown to a den of lions. Their mouths are sealed shut by the power of God and God is with him in his non-compliance. Finally, we look at Peter himself in the book of Acts chapter 4. He goes out preaching the gospel. Jesus, people are getting saved. And it bothers the enemies of Christ. They arrest him. And they say, the, the, the only way we'll let you out if you stop preaching Christ. So what does Peter say? I have to obey God and not man. And he keeps preaching, noncompliance. So you find in those examples, which are not all of the biblical precedents for the times that God's people living under a, a foreign government have to honor God more than the government, we do see some categories. One, if the government is telling us to do evil, we won't do it. If the government is mandating something for us to do that is actually honoring evil and punishing good, then we will not submit. If the government ever does anything to impede our worship and our love and our honoring of God, then we are outside of our duty to submit to them because we can no longer do that unto the Lord. So the examples that we read... There was a desire for them to not worship their God, to not pray to their God, and to not preach the truth of their God. And in all of those ways, there was noncompliance. And so now we have rule followers, for the most part, you are 
called to generally comply. Rebels, for the most part, you are called to generally comply, but you need each other. There's times where we have to stand up with bold courage to honor God and not men. The, the, maybe a month ago, there was a woman who came up to me after service and said, I've heard rumors that 2020 is going to be on repeat. More lockdowns are coming. Now, I don't know if those rumors are true. Uh, sorry if you never heard those rumors because they're not fun rumors to think about. But she wanted to know, what would we do as a church if we were asked to close our doors? And so with this lens in mind, for the most part, we want to generally comply with the mandates of our city. But if the city or the government ever tells us ever again that we can't worship, or we can't gather to pray, or we can't gather to preach the gospel, then according to the conscience of God that he gives you, you can join me in non-compliance. We will continue to gather. So here's the first principle we use to, do, to, to take away the, the wall of separation. We have a heart to comply, and we do it unto the Lord. We comply as much as we can without dishonoring God. We are obedient to the government as long as we are not called to be disobedient to God, and we can find unity in that. The rule followers and the, and the freedom fighters unite. That's the first one. Now we go to the second principle that Peter will give us. Chapter 2, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Um, please, on behalf of pastors everywhere, will you circle that beginning statement in verse 15? For this is the will of God. It is the number one question that people wrestle with when trying to understand how they fit into God's plan for their life. And they come to their pastor or they, they talk to their friends and they say, I want to know God's will for my life. And for the most part, that question is aimed at who am I supposed to marry, how am I supposed to make money, and what's my biblical calling on my life? For those specific areas of the will of God, seek him, read his word, follow the open doors. And then there's exact will of God he will tell you clearly for all of us. It is God's will that God's people would be used by him in the way they live their lives to silence the ignorance of people who do not know God. That's God's will for your life. That your life would silence non-believers who speak evil against God and against God's people. He wants that for every single one of us. He wants our lives to be a light that shines his glory and casts out all of the ways that people are wrong about what they believe about God. He wants that to happen through your life. That is his will for your life. The question is, how do you do that? How do we silence the ignorance of foolish people? And can we agree that this is a pertinent question in our time? Can we agree that there is ignorance of people that don't know God but think they do? that don't know what God's people are actually called to live like, but think they do. It's, it's a problem that is as old as the very beginning of the church. And I assure you that Peter, in his wildest dreams, could have never imagined the extent at which ignorant people can now share their ignorant opinions. The internet was nowhere near his mind. And yet we live in a time where ignorance is at an all-time high and everybody's got a microphone. 
And because of that, we often have a knee-jerk reaction as to how we are actually supposed to respond so that ignorance can be dealt with. And you see the headline, Christian destroys atheists. And we're like, okay, that's a good thing. Obviously, he was wrong and the Christian was right. One point for the good guys, zero points for the bad guys. And we have just won an argument and lost a soul. And we think, okay, how do we silence their ignorance? Uh, we just tune it out. We pretend that it's their problem. In, enjoy. You're, you're all on a, a, a highway to hell, and we're just going to focus on the inward church, and we're going to grow up waiting for our hope of heaven. We're going to buy a bunch of rice and ammo, and it's not our problem. <laughs> if you have rice and ammo, God bless you. But that's not going to silence their ignorance towards the God that desires to reveal himself to them. How do we actually change the narrative that God's people are somehow evil, narrow-minded, prejudiced, racist, bigots? How do we actually respond? Peter says you respond with your actions. The will of God is that to silence the evil spoken against us, we would do good. Jesus says, let your light, so, your good works so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And, it, and I, I reference that, one, because you, you have to relate to Peter as he related to Christ. Peter is sharing with us what he learned from Christ. He was there on the mount when Jesus gave the sermon. He got the command that our lives were supposed to give glory to God by the way we live. And he's also pretty mindful of the reference that Jesus would give after talking about our lives shining. In Matthew chapter 5, he's sharing that we are the light of the world. In the same chapter, what does he say? Verse 41, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. This is Jesus sharing two people who are living for the kingdom of God underneath the rule of the kingdom of men. And it's a historical reference point that is an actual way that Jesus is asking them to comply with an ordinance that they probably didn't like very much. That a Roman soldier could at any point require a citizen of this area, the region that Jesus lived in, to carry his belongings and his gear for at least one mile. Now that, try that in modern day America, that an officer could come up to you and say, hey, I need a mile out of you right now. We would probably flip up his car upside down and vote him and whoever made that law out of office, which wouldn't be a bad idea, the voting part. <laughs> and yet Jesus says, here's how I want you to reply. Not only do I want you to say yes, I want you to go twice as long as he even asked you. In other words, don't just do good. We're not just people who are neutral. We are people who are extreme in our doing good. So often you hear this message preached and it's like, okay, Christians, remember, let's pay our taxes and not go to the speed limit so that we don't go to jail and we don't rack up fines. It's like Christians are just neutral. The believers in Jesus are just trying to not go to prison on our way to heaven. Our very best is that we would just break the law, just, just don't do anything to break the law and wait till heaven. 
It's not that we're neutral people. It's not that we just are, are somewhat compliant so that we don't get in trouble. We are people who will do anything we can to stand out for the glory of God as people who care about the well-being of everybody else in the city. Your reputation like that will silence all of the ways that people are wrong about God's people. They don't need more rhetoric. They need an actual relationship with a believer who is walking the walk. We talked about all, last week we talked about all of the ways that the first church had a reputation that wasn't right. People thought they were cannibals for talking about the body and blood of Christ and consuming it. They thought they were incestual for saying everyone's brothers and sisters and loving them. And yet with this verse applied, their reputation totally changed, not because they became amazing at debating the cause, but because they grew in a reputation that was totally different than the evil that was spoken against them. They grew as people who cared for the least of these. They grew as people that if there was a child who needed a home, if there was a widow who needed to be taken care of, there, there were these group of people that not many people understood. They didn't know everything they believed, and sometimes it was confusing, but they knew they could be counted on to help. And that is the only way the reputation of the church of God will advance beyond our generation is if we are known by our good works unto God for his glory. Here's some gospel good news. As the outside world types up an angry review of the church service this morning or tells all of the ways online and tweets against us this morning, here's some good news that we refute them with. Believers in Jesus are twice as likely to adopt a child in need of a home as the general population. Christians are more likely to not only adopt, but also to adopt older children, children with special needs, and other children considered hard to place in homes. Christians are three times more likely to take part in foster care. Christians make up 65% of non family-related foster parents. As people are angry against the movement of Christianity today, the gospel good news is that 60% of emergency shelter beds for the homeless are provided by Christians. This weekend, I got to go with evangelist Chris to one of those homeless shelters that is called Corpus Christi. The body of Christ and as we went, Chris brought food for everyone to eat. He brought sweatshirts for everyone to get ready for the winter. He bought boots for everybody to have shoes. And he says, we give you all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And Dom was there too, Marina. As the non-believing world slanders the church this morning, there will be members of our church family that go to 10 nursing homes to open the Bible and share the hope of Jesus with people who no longer have anyone else to visit them. And they'll share a meal and they'll do a craft and they'll ask them about their life and they will tell them that they are loved and that is the body of Christ at work and that is what we must do to change the view of the body of Christ in the world. What does that look like for your life? In what way will the 
glory of God be revealed to the ignorance of men through your life. And that is why in the simplicity of the movement of Christ from the very beginning, he says, this is what you do. Love God with everything you are and then find your neighbor and love them too. If every neighbor in every neighborhood who ever lived by a Christian could just meet one real Christian in real life, we'd probably break the internet and there would be nothing left to say. So number two is do good. Peter will say, again, so far in doing good, he'll, he'll go on to add, be free, not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Number two is to do good and no excuse for evil. Slander, evil words. People don't like you and they disdain you and they call you names. And Peter says, you are free in Christ, so don't respond in kind. Don't use evil spoken against you as a cloak for evil. And don't use the freedom that you have in this country as a cloak to do whatever you want. You are people who love God and submit yourselves to him as bondservants. You are free to do everything God has called you to do. And so we end with four ways that we can apply this with the lens of how God wants us to see every single person in this world now. He says finally in verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. What if we just did that? What if we did that when the headline news that tries to divide and the, the fear that tries to separate and all of the different ways that we philosophize about responding to government and we said, in everything we do, we're gonna do our best to comply we're going to do our very best to do good. And every single person, whether I agree with them or not, whether I voted the same as they did or not, whether we even have the same worldview or not, I'll still respect and honor them. And this is the good news of who we actually are in Christ. I, I assure you that the God-given command and Holy Spirit-led power to honor all people is unique to the believer. Everywhere else, in every religion and every worldview of man, you can honor some people, but you'll always have somebody that you point the finger at. In the world of politics, the red does not honor the blue. CNN doesn't honor Fox. In the world of the geopolitical boundaries, the, the border sometimes separates who we can honor and who we can't. In the world of religion, there is the righteous and the unrighteous. There's the worthy, the unworthy. There's the insiders and the outsiders. And yet, we belong this morning to a God that says, I want my people to be different, holy, and set apart. How? Because you have a respect for everyone who is an image bearer of God. And how do we get that worldview that we can stand on with certainty that everyone actually can be honored? Well, it starts with the reality that everyone is a sinner. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Not one perfect sinner, or not one perfect person. Everyone's a sinner. All like sheep go astray. Our one common bond is that we are all in desperate need of the grace of God. And the good news is, as God declares that over every one of us, dead in our sins... The Bible also says that God so loved the world 
That in all of our little maps, as we look down on the, the lines that we've divided our world by, God, God sees none of it. He sees people who he sent his son to die for. We have the power to honor everyone. I'm, I'm mindful of going back in time to that year 2020 when we first did start gathering together, and it wasn't long before we had enough people asking to be baptized that we did a whole baptism service in the height of masking and six feet of separation. We were jumping in the water with each other. And the beauty of that is, one, for times such as this, when there seems to be a cloud of uncertainty hanging over the heads of humanity, it's good to remember that God is at work. People got saved in 2020, People got saved in the midst of chaos and division within and out of the church. And it's also good to remember how we qualified anyone who came to become part of the family of God. We asked them one simple question before they go into the water. It was not, who did you vote for? It was not, what's your stance on masking? It was, I did not need to see their vaccination card. I didn't need to see their citizenship for whatever country they came from. All I needed to do was ask one question. Do you believe you're a sinner saved by the grace of God revealed through the cross of Christ, the hope of the resurrection, now your hope for eternity? And if they said yes, I said, come on in. Be baptized into the water. Lay your old life to death. Rise in the newness of life. We can honor anyone by the power of the gospel of Jesus that has the power to save. And if we can honor all people, we can be this unique group of people who is undividable, who is actually unique, set aside for God to show his marvelous goodness in times of uncertainty. And so he finishes by saying, if you can honor people, you can love the brethren. You can look to your left and to your right and realize that God has collected a number of people that did not get pre-qualified through their voting record or their citizenship, and here we are, one big family of God, love one another. And then he says, fear God. Everything that we have discussed, everything we will discuss moving forward, trying to put into order our place as citizens of heaven and residents of earth, only works with the fear of God in place. Meaning God is the ultimate authority. It is his word that guides us. It is his spirit that empowers us. He is the object of our worship and he alone do we reverently fear. So be free from the fear of headline news, from the fear of the mob, from the fear of the party line, from the fear of disappointing people who would do things differently than you from the fear of anything but honoring God with all of your life, and as you honor God, you can live out what he's called us to do this morning. And then finally, in a way to tie it all together, he says, and also once again, honor the king. It doesn't mean that you have to say you voted for him. They didn't vote for kings. It doesn't mean you have to agree with the way he's ruling the kingdom. You probably won't. Doesn't mean that you even have to like him. You don't have to put a picture of him above your dining room table. But we are people that because we have such security in our fear of God and our trust that he's in control, and as the nations rage, our God laughs, 
There is not one governor or king that we can't tip our hat to and say, you are here to punish evil and praise good by the sovereignty of God. So we put it all together. Are you ready? Do your best to be a person who is reasonable and kind in your citizenship on this side of heaven. Do everything within you to do good, to do more good than is required or thought of and honor all people. Respect one another. In the end, as we fear God, we trust him with all of these things. All of the uncertainty and all of the unclarity and all of the confusion. As we turn our face to him, he will work it all out to his glory and our good.